0: Sure. Mm-hmm. to sustainable 247
1: welcome yourself all to sustainable 247 my erudite educated and most wholesome chum how the devil are you I'm very well, thank you How are you? I'm alright, thanks very much Yeah, I am all invigorated because of the chat What we have just had on Sustainable Your friendly little weekly environment podcast All about people and the planet And why just because everything's a little bit hard to get your head around sometimes That doesn't mean we can't learn to do things differently, Oh Yes And yes. the chat we have just had is
0: Brills And so you're going to tell
1: people what it is
0: It is brills. I've said a few times recently, I think this might be my new favourite interview, but this is like very much up there in the new favourite interview Mm. stakes. We chatted to the wonderful Mary Colwell, who is an author, uh, written a number of books and is the director of something called Curlew Action. Which is all about curlews. She likes curlews. She likes curlews. This chat but, is mostly not about curlews. But, but we will we'll come on to that. Um, and crucially, she is the driving force, the person who has, almost single-handedly, though she wouldn't have it much herself, uh, got this their government in the UK to say, OK, fine, we'll introduce a new qualification in natural history. Um, which is for kids of a kind of secondary school age, 16-ish. Yeah, GCSE for British. GCSE for yeah. people who know it. Yeah. And it's, this is a chat about how on earth that happened, the most remarkable story of how such an amazing thing came into being, but also so much more about the value of the natural world, the beauty of it, its inherent wonder and oh it's just great it's right in my wheelhouse this chat and um i implore you to listen to it seven times it's really really fab
1: and we also asked some bigger questions about uh, education and saving the planet and stuff and what's education even for and how come we even needed a blinking gcse especially for natural history in the first place so it's really really good stuff make a cup of tea sit back she's got a uh, so many interesting things to say I got quite moved at one point in this all. I just think it's so beautiful um, and also green night for baby old to eat as much soil as
0: possible so that's also good Now we do work for environment charities uh, as does Mary off of Curlew Action so uh, if anything we say makes your teeth curl you ought to take it up with us Ooh. not with the people for whom we work curl you no that was majestically done all and what the
1: listener doesn't know is that was about five minutes of you thinking about and having a go at doing that but it was worth it in the end
0: Yeah. No, they don't know that. That's the crucial thing. That's why it works so well.
1: That's the thing they don't know. Spontaneous off-the-cuff audio magic. Thank you, British Podcast Award, for sticking around. (laughs) We are a listener-funded podcast, so if you like what you hear, please do join our loyal uh, but not big enough army of Patreon supporters at www.patreon.com slash sustainababble, where you can chuck in a couple of quid a month to keep this show on the road. And as well as that warm glow, you get insights into who we have coming on the show next and you get to ask them questions, which you only get to do via the means of being a Patreon supporter. So how about that? Oh,
0: right. Shall we get on with it, Dave? On with it, we shall get all. It's, toe, it's toes curl, isn't it? It's not teeth curl, but...
1: <laughs> You're not having another go.
0: No, I didn't think I was.
1: So you're going to be indoctrinating our nation's children with your insidious greeny propaganda? Is that it? Brainwashing them, I say.
2: <laughs> you have got it spot on. Super. That is exactly what I'll be doing. Um, well, it depends how you how you di- I, you know define greeny brainwashing. I suppose. Um,
1: <laughs> how do you define it,
2: <laughs> <laughs> I define it as telling uh, young people about the natural world. Is that greeny? Is that green blobby stuff or is that okay? Just telling them, telling them what they live with, you know? I mean, most young people don't know the difference between a bumblebee and a honeybee or a dandelion and a buttercup, to be quite honest with you. And I think it's about time that we all got back outside, got stuck in, you know, got got that connection going again. So, yep, guilty as charged <laughs> if that's greeny washing.
0: Um, so what 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 how are you going to be delivering this brainwashing uh green Uh, agenda (laughs) injecting it directly into the minds of the nation's youth what is your mechanism what have you done
2: it's very insidious as you might have guessed so uh, basically what what will happen is that um, we will get kids to go outside young people to go outside and they will name and record and monitor and collect data about notice changes over time of the life around them And you can do that in the middle of a city or you could do that if you live in the top of a mountain in a national park. It doesn't matter where you live. The natural world is all around you. So we just want young people to do that noticing. You know, we just don't notice anymore. I'm I'm as guilty of it as anybody. When we go out, you stick on your headphones and you listen to music or whatever, listen Mm -hmm. to this podcast, and things happen around you and you don't notice. And it's that... Getting back to being in the present. I think the trendy phase is being uh, mindful or something. But it is, I suppose it is that. It's being mindful of of what you're living amongst. And the more you're mindful of what you're living amongst, the more you'll understand what it's telling you about the planet we live on. Here, here,
0: here, here, here.
2: So I've
1: got all sorts of things I want to ask you about what you just said but I think it might be helpful to take a bit of a step back and just tell the world and remember a lot of our listeners are not in the UK so um tell the world what you have been campaigning for and what has happened and what in a nutshell it will do that'd be fabby.
2: Okay. So um 11 years ago I um was sitting in a room in the city of Bath, uh next to a guy called Tony Juniper, who is now a sort of head of natural England as it's called.
1: Go back and listen to episode thirty-seven of Sustainable or something like
2: that. Oh, was he on that?
1: Yeah,
0: we had we had him on here a long time ago. Oh, yeah. there you go.
2: What a dude. So I was sitting next to him and um and it was like, you know, in those cartoons when suddenly a light bulb goes off on top of someone's head, you know, goes bing like that. Well, it was literally like that. I have no idea where it came from or or anything, and I literally just turned to Tony Juniper and I said, "Tony, what do you think about a GCSE in natural history?" And and that was the first time it was out there. It was like verbalised. And, and
1: a, GCSE, um, a GCSE, we should say, is a it's a fourteen to sixteen year old. It it's is the 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 first set of kind of exams. That National do, exams. Basically. National exams. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah So. Exactly equivalent. I don't know what the American equivalent is, but
2: I don't actually. I don't know what they call it, but um, yes, that those exams you take uh, when you're about sixteen, and um, and they they are important exams. So you know it's good to get them, and and it it, it's the heart of education, if you like, because everybody has to take something around that age. Um, You can leave school after that, uh, but you have to do these. So it just seemed like a really good sweet spot to start getting kids to do nature um, as part of education. Um, And so Tony was really enthusiastic about it. In fact, he scuttled off home and he wrote an article for a newspaper, English news, British newspaper called The Guardian. And it got a flurry of excitement. And I, I did a bit of leafleting and emailing lots of important people and trying to gauge how it was going to be taken. And Back even eleven years ago, it was a really popular idea. But I, I you know, I, unless you're in, unless you're in the room with education, it's ever such a dark art. You don't know how it works. You don't know how exam boards work. You don't know the relationship between exam boards and the government. You know, it's just really, really difficult and impenetrable fortress of stuff I knew nothing about. So I had this idea, but I didn't know how to sort of lob it into education, like sort of a cannonball or something over the walls. So um, uh, after that, Tony uh, and Tony wrote the article and everything died down a bit. I kept things going a bit, but not too much. And then 2017, I I had this big pile of to-do stuff on my desk and an email about the GCSE was sitting there. And I just thought, it's now or never. If... if I'm going to do it, I'm going to have to keep going. I had a lot of other things I wanted to do, but something just said, just just keep, give it another go. And I put out a government petition. Uh, you can just have a, a petition that goes onto a government website. And um, and I said, uh, please sign this petition if you want the, the government to introduce a GCSE in natural history. And it got 10,000 signatures really quickly. Um, and then it was pulled early. Because we had a snap election and you can't have petitions running when there's an election. Hmm. But it was enough to get a government response. You have to get 10,000 signatures to actually get an official response from the government.
1: Ah, uh, yes. No, I read this response. This is a response that could be summarised as <laughs> yeah. sod off.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> yes. That is very polite. That is the nice, polite government way of saying, get back in your box. You're yeah. really irritating. We're doing it anyway. You know, just, just there you are, dear, go away. Wasn't it? That was all it was. Yeah, uh, they're,
1: they're, literally, there are existing opportunities in the curriculum to study yeah. natural history. And we
2: have no plans for a new GCSE. Oh. So Don't bugger off. Yeah, that go. was a kind of definitive no, I would say.
1: No, got it in one, Humphrey. <laughs> Minister, it takes time to do things now.
0: <laughs> and I'm, I'm guessing, could be wrong here, but I'm guessing you didn't take that no for an answer. Well, uh, that's
2: why we're sitting here today. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I'm guessing you didn't entirely believe them, that there were sufficient opportunities to study natural history. There um, are not
2: a huge number of benefits to be me, but one of them is that you literally think sod it. I'm, I'm sod it you know i'm just going to try anyway i'm you oh, there's yes. a way around it it's I, I kind of think of a bit like a stream you know that you're trying to get to the ocean this, this stream and it might not be a very big stream but it's heading towards the ocean and some thunderous great boulder arrives and sits and sort of blocks your path but michael you gove just... <laughs> no exactly not michael gove but that petition, response to that petition is like, no, it's like somebody building a dam. You can't go any further. So, you just go round it. You literally just think, well, okay, well, I'll forget that bit and then go around and just carry on. And I, I got another somebody else wrote um a guy called Michael McCarthy, who is an editor um a news editor. He wrote another article in the in- Independent this time and it was all another newspaper and it all kicked off another great flurry of stuff, particularly as the as the petition got out there and then all of a sudden it was literally like some little angel fluttered down from heaven. <laughs> it was Michael this. <laughs> We're going to come on to Michael Gove. <laughs> Hold your horses!
1: I think the people in this country have had enough of experts. I'm just, I'm, I'm suspicious. I don't, I don't like how this story is going vis-à-vis <laughs> the saintly nature of Michael Gove. Sure. Right.
2: Oh, well, I'm afraid I'm going to challenge your very perceptions in oh, your heart. Oh no! Well. The, first of all, the first <laughs> angel was not Michael Gove. The first angel was a really lovely angel called Caroline Lucas, and I was Going on Twitter. I listen to episode
1: 133 of Sustainable.
2: It really, yeah, <laughs> or something it's, like that. She's yeah. just great, isn't she? <laughs> yes, and she it sent is. me a direct message on Twitter saying, "I really love this. Can I help?" Yeah. Wow. wow, fantastic. Yeah, so she was always a hero of mine. So I went, actually went to meet her in the, you know, House of Commons, the Parliament, and it was all very posh and um and we hatched a plan together and and she's really good what people what I didn't understand until you start to just sort of put your toe into the world of politics it's just how human it all is you know you think things go happen by process they don't happen by process they mm. happen by skill and ingenuity and bloody mindedness and sheer cleverness and who, you know, and remind you, you said that, you didn't say that. And you know, it's really, really human and clever and dastardly and um, through all that through I won't bore you with the details but she managed to get Michael Gove in a meeting to say yes of course I'll, I'll meet you and Mary Cowell about GCSE and natural history and then the, she managed to get him to say that so that was then minuted so when she wrote to his office saying can we come and see you and he tried to pass us on to somebody else oh no no I don't have time go and see some junior minister she she got out the minutes and said ah But you said that here. So (laughs) we had to. Um, And we went to see him. And and that's when I wouldn't necessarily describe him as an angel, but he was certainly very helpful. And he is one of those people, you know, when you go to a meeting and you've sent things uh, ahead of you and lots of papers and they look really boring and you think no one's going to look at them. But, you know, there's useful stuff in there. He literally read it. He'd read Mm. what we'd sent him and there were marks all through the pages and underlined bits. And during the conversation, he'd go, oh, just a minute. And he'd leaf through and say, oh, yes, you put that in page for something. He he had read it. And then he suggested the next real angel, who was a guy called Tim Oates from the exam board OCR. Uh, So uh, GCSEs are made up by exam boards and uh, There's a number of them, but OCR is one that he suggested we get in touch with. And this guy called Tim Oates. So Tim, Caroline and myself form the threesome, the little dynamic kernel. Mm -hmm. We were the control center, GCSE, Natural History Control Center. But it took four years of politicking, lobbying, writing, refining, groveling, more of Caroline's politicking and, and getting people to see us. She actually even chased people down the s- corridors and sort of wow. did a half Nelson on them to <laughs> to meet us. I,
1: I would immediately agree to anything Caroline asked me to exactly. do. Exactly. If she chased me in a corridor.
2: <laughs> would you? Can I tell her that? <laughs> yes. Yes, please do. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> Unfortunately,
1: a- I have no corridors and she's very unlikely to want to chase me in a corridor. <laughs> if she did, <laughs> no, I would.
2: you know. Depends what aftershave you use, I suppose. We just didn't feel we were getting anywhere. We felt everything was stalling. We kept writing to the Department of Education. We changed school ministers. Um, we changed Secretary of State for education. So you had to start again, sort of. Not entirely, but there was a whole new set of people. And it just stalled and it wasn't getting anywhere. And any approaches we made either weren't answered or, yeah, we're thinking about it. And eventually... We decided. I think Tim decided. He said, "I think they've actually decided not to do this. I think we've we might have lost this one." And again, it was one of those moments. So Caroline then used her last, got her wand out for one last time, hmm. and managed to get us one last meeting with the school's minister, Robin Walker, for January. Well, it was December. He then postponed it right at the last minute after I bought my train ticket. I hope you
0: billed him for that.
2: (laughs) No. Um, And changed it to January. And when he changed it, I happened to be in the Highlands, working in the Highlands. And suddenly they had this meeting, this really important meeting. And so I decided the only way I could do it was get the sleeper train down from Fort William, go to the meeting with him and get the sleeper train back up again. That was the only way I could do it. So... And it was a last chance saloon. That's how it was billed. This is the last meeting we'll get with the minister. We're going to have to do it. So I, there was no, I didn't have any way around it. I had to go. Um, and so, guess who missed the sleeper train?
0: Oh, no. Yeah, I did. <laughs> That's not what I was um, expecting you to say. <laughs>
2: no, I know. I know. And it's not my proudest moment. <laughs> So, I got to the... uh, My friend took me to the train station in Fort William and it was like deathly quiet. There was just like tumbleweed going down the corridor, you know, platforms. And the train had gone. I got the... God knows what I did. And so, he looked at his watch and he said, right, the train's only gone 10 minutes. It takes an hour and a half to get to uh this this little station further on, uh, but the road is much straighter. he said, if we go now, we might just get to this station. Before this is like it a it. bond
0: movie <laughs>
2: <laughs> Exactly, it was exactly like a bond movie, so this was half past nine at night in the in January, so pitch black it was one of those uh nights where it was really foggy as well it was wasn't cold, but it was foggy and he got in the car and said right go and we got in the car and we drove and you have to drive over Rannock Moor Um, Uh Mm. and it was so foggy and there was a full moon shining down through the fog and I just remember it, it made the scenery look so eerie and the train track is over to your left. And my friend Chris was driving as fast as he dared, you know, because there's deer and everything on the road. And he said, "Just see if you can see the train on your left." See what I say? It was like a Bond movie. I thought I'm going to have to sort of, you know, I don't know, get on a bridge and jump onto it. Or
0: something.
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and we got to the station, and it pulled up five minutes later. And I ah, got on it,
1: and then you jumped onto the back and sort of swung, <laughs> swung onto the back carriage, fought That's your way through a train carriage of snakes.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is exactly what I did. Or Superb. just got into my bunk bed and went <laughs> to sleep. But it was absolutely crucial meeting, and I am so glad that we did that, made that effort because I could have just thought, oh, bugger it. And uh, I'll do it on Skype, which is what they suggested. But I knew being in the room was really important. And so the three of us were in the room and we could look him in the whites of the eyes and we could lay out our arguments to this new minister who we hadn't met before. And uh, and I think that was the clinched meeting.
1: So the government has now said there is going to be a natural history GCSE from 2025,
2: right? Yes.
1: And, and that's about kind of all they've said about it. Like all of the details are now to be filled in, right? Yeah,
2: exactly Pretty that. Much. Exactly that.
1: Well, Jolly, can we have a round of applause, please, all for Mary? absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And Caroline, and Tim, yeah, and Tony, thank you. Yeah. And, and Michael. Go.
2: <laughs> and Michael
1: And the Babel, who I think in some small way should take all the credit. I, th- I think so. It's very much
0: yeah. us that one. Um No, it's amazing. And it's it's... It's not only an incredible achievement in and of itself, but is it an exercise in persistence and creativity and like strategic kind of, you know, wheedling and and nuance and thought. And it's, it's, oh, it's really heartwarming that, you know. It is possible, as long as you're brilliant and endlessly <laughs> persistent, which two things I'm not. So I don't. I think we've got to choose something else, Dave. But I don't like think this do is
2: necessary. I was, was going to
1: say just I just don't go away. Seems like the lesson I've taken. Just don't this. go away. No. <laughs> yeah. When you are when someone right. tells
0: you to sod off, off you do not sod. Did Did you get met with any arguments for not doing this that you thought had credibility? Because you said you know you said that you knew it was a thing that had to happen. You were completely driven by it and committed to it. But but did they say no because X Y and Z? And you thought mm. fair enough. At any I point, I
2: think. Well, I mean that there's lots and lots of barriers that were put up that we had to argue against lots of times. But the main one was we're doing it anyway. and we'll just increase it a bit in other subjects. So we get more natural history in biology, more natural history in geography. We'll put a bit more in other subjects and uh, and we'll have it covered. But my argument to that is that is just nonsense, you know, not having that, because natural history is such a rich and wonderful subject in its own right. It will never just be a bit part of something else. You know, you tell that to Darwin, you know, (laughs) that, you know, you're just a bit part of a, bit of geography i mean it just isn't true it's a subject in its own right um and i think it shows how much we've devalued it as a subject that we think it can just be a module in geography or biology Mm -hmm. they're different subjects and it's time to sort of resurrect it and breathe some life into it and get all the dust off it and say look this is amazing and this will really inspire the next generation and it'll take you out of yourself too you know i don't know if you spent much time with really good naturalists but they haven't got time to worry about themselves that much you know and I think we've become quite anxious as a as a society and having something external to look at and to concentrate and be fascinated by even if it's just for a while really does you good I think so
1: you, you've started talking about this at the start and you've got into it there a bit as well do you imagine this and obviously you're you know this GCSE now has to be designed, right? But do you imagine this not really being about sitting down with books and reading about what Darwin said, but actually going out and getting your hands dirty and touching grass and doing stuff? That's That's what you would like to see. That's the bit. That you think is missing most of all.
2: Yes, I think it is. I, I, I mean, absolutely, the book work has to be there because it, it, you know, natural history is about studying. It's about looking, but it's also about understanding. And so, um, the book and the books and and the practical have to go together. But they have to go together. You can't do one without the other. You can't just do the practical and notebooks. Um, and I think that's 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 part of the enriching side of it so but absolutely fundamental part of this GCSE is sustained outdoor observation and recording and uh, field work field naturalists we need field naturalists like never before So that's what you'll be when you've done this GCSE.
1: I think baby Ol is halfway to that already, Ol, isn't he? He's eaten half of his garden.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I encourage, as as mentioned on previous babbles, I fully encourage baby Ols 1 and 2 to stuff their gobs with soil uh, when perhaps (laughs) I ought to discourage that a little bit. But uh, no, they're, yeah, they're really, as I think all children are, I I don't, I think this is something you probably teach out of children rather than teaching into yeah. children. Like I think they are naturally curious and you know, we've evolved as we we lived in a forest. We depended upon the natural world. Like that's evolutionarily, that's what we're primed to do, right? So like I think it's unnatural to sort of not be interested in it and I think that's a thing which is which is taught rather than the other way around.
2: Uh, I think you're absolutely spot on there. That I mean, young children instinctively know what natural history is. They know they're fascinated by the natural world, absolutely fascinated by it. It's got a posh name called biophilia. Um, and that's, uh, you know, we love life. And by the time we get to secondary school, we've diminished that. We've flattened it and ironed it out and put it in boxes and made it. Uh, drawn the colour out of it and suddenly it's just a little bit of something else and that's not, you know, it, it's a, it's one of those great mysteries to me that we spend a lot of our time, you know, I did with my children and you're obviously doing with yours, you know you read them stories and they're full of animals you know, animal mm. characters mm. animals and the natural world is all the way through it because it's so important and it's so accessible we don't read them books on hedge funds and stuff (laughs) we read them books about animals and yet by the time they get to secondary school that's that that wonder has gone
1: right hope you're enjoying the babble before we get on with it some more here's a little trailer for another podcast we think you might like
2: This is We The Power, a podcast from Patagonia all about community energy with me, Lucy Siegel. So we're back. This is the first episode of a brand new season of We The Power. We always wanted to say more about community energy because you had so many more questions. Then a few things happened. In a nutshell, the issue of how we get our energy
0: and the impact of that could not be more critical. So in this brand new
2: episode, Ukrainian environmental lawyer and climate activist Svetlana Romanka and Bill McKibben, the venerated climate activist, will explain just what is at stake. Right now, fossil fuels are powering the war in Ukraine. There's an intensifying energy crisis across Europe, and the chance to address the climate crisis is slipping away. To put it simply, community energy is part of the fix, and we need it now.
1: So here's a little bit of audio from my ten-year-old nephew Jude, who is always talking to me about the nature and and the he learns about hedge funds, uh, hedgehogs, and uh, climate change and things. And uh, I asked him what he learns about nature at school.
2: It's very important to protect nature because um, if nature
1: goes, it may never come back. Um we've had a few geography lessons about nature, and um we our most recent one is about eroding we I've learnt how to
0: um, um how to um recognize some animals
1: and um Recognise flowers and birds as well. So, so is what you're saying that, like, for someone like Jude, if he's not careful, he's not going to get taught that stuff anymore. Until unless there's a GCSE that does it for him. So yes, That's sort of one. You know, clearly it is for a ten year old. That stuff is being taught, but then it stops being taught.
2: Yeah, it stops being taught, doesn't it? And suddenly everything gets put into a box, and it all becomes terribly, terribly sort of. Um, process driven um, and the natural world turns into biology which in itself is a fantastic subject but biology is really about the mechanisms and processes that support life it's not about the life itself so you'll learn about photosynthesis but it about in a generic leaf but natural mm-hmm. history is photosynthesis as an oak tree as opposed to you know um a, a pond lily or something it's different and 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 it's that new it's that's Specificity, which is so important, um, that we have lost, that we've just brushed aside as not important, and yet if you look back to the exams at the same stage, uh, school certificate, leaving certificate, or something it was called in the nineteen twenties in the UK, um, there were natural history. There was natural history in schools, oh, and really? they asked, re- yeah, and and I tweeted it actually, and and even uh, Tony Juniper said he only got three, he got three of them wrong. Out of four questions. So <laughs> but a, they babble were,
1: listener, a Babble listener did ask us if we were gonna sit this natural history GCSE.
0: I would love to sit that with simultaneously with you, Dave. Now I'm not saying I'd get everything right, but I would love to see yeah. you squirm.
2: Okay, <laughs> I, well no. I'd like you to tell me the different species of the Cassidae no. moth. That was one of the uh, questions the what? what? The exactly. different
1: species of the Cassidy moth. Yeah. Oh, oh, i glad and, you asked me that. Man.
2: Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
0: And, uh, the, we know, and you know we one, can see the reflection of your screen in your glasses Dave <laughs> right? we can see what you're doing
2: <laughs> um, and then another Shit. one was on uh, you've got to of all the birds that immigrate in the winter to Britain come in yeah. to winter to Britain in the winter name six species and describe their habitats and where they've come from
0: Oh, blimey.
2: I mean, that's natural so that's history, stuff right? Stuff
0: coming from the Arctic then, like terns and... Yeah,
2: uh, curlews.
0: Curlews. Uh, which curlews? Uh, oh, We'll, yeah, well, we we'll need, come on to we that. we come You're... to curlews. yeah.
2: <laughs> I always have to get them in somewhere. But, you know, lots of birds come to us for the winter. Lots of different species of birds. But um, we always think of summer visitors, really, swallows and swifts and so on. But those coming in the winter. And I just shows that natural history was just much much more a part of daily life than it is now and that is because we've lost so much obviously
1: It makes me think of Robert Macfarlane's lost words yes. stuff. So if, if listeners haven't seen this, it's a, be- a beautiful book and a beautiful set of stuff that he's done. Basically, words that have just fallen out of use because yeah. in common use because yeah. they described changes, different things, subtleties in the natural world that people a
0: hundred years ago would just have known. Well, well, and often, no, often just don't. the names of species. Like right. you know, a lot of the, that stuff was wren, dandelion. Kingfisher, Mm. you know, it's Mm -hmm. all, it's um, yeah. Mm. We should, we should try very hard to get either either Robert Farns or Jackie Morris on because it's that whole project. You really should
2: actually, because Um, uh, you know, and
0: wildly. Sorry to interrupt you, but 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 wildly popular in schools. That whole project. Primary schools. Yeah, one of the reasons it's been so massive is because there clearly is a kind of thirst for of all of the that reconnection that you describe among kids and among I think primary school teachers as well. So I think there was a a project to get a copy of that in every single yeah. primary school, which um, which is wonderful.
2: Kingfisher, the colour giver, fire bringer, flame flicker, rivers quiver. Ink black bill, orange throat and a quick blue back... But you see, if we lose the nature, if we lose those words, um, we lose the nature itself, which we are doing, but we lose those words... We've lose we've lost part of our ability to express ourselves. We've lost part of our creativity. So, um, you know, our language is full of things like sly as a fox or, you know, brave as a lion or whatever. But if we don't have foxes or lions or they're not important to us anymore, uh, brave as a what? Brave as another human being, you know, it ev- everything becomes very inward looking and our creativity kind of falters, I think. So it's all part of being human, as you've said earlier.
0: So to to just be slightly kind of devil's advocacy for a moment, is is part of the reason that secondary schools have not really done natural history? The fact that secondary schools is when you start teaching kids stuff that's going to give them a job and is going to, you know, that's the kind of the logic, isn't it, is that like you, you need stuff which is going to equip you for professional life because well, we need you to be good economic con- contributors. Which this government is
1: this government has directly said like they are right. quite clear that is what they think the purpose yeah. of education yeah. is. Yeah, you
0: know? we need you to yeah. do go, go get, sa- get a sciencey in in science
1: investmenty things exactly.
0: Yeah. And I, you know, I don't think anyone listening to you would disagree that all of the things you described are part of the richness of life, and we're. Poorer for not having them. But do the government have a point that, well, there's finite stuff and finite time for teaching kids? And if they can't leave school with a reasonable chance of getting a job, what use is knowing the six species of turn that turn up, turn up, there you go, uh, in the winter?
2: <laughs> well, this government commissioned um, a, a Cambridge economist called Parta Dasgupta, Professor Parta Dasgupta. Do you remember the? The Dasgupta report, they yes. commissioned him yes. to do a report on the contribution of, of the natural world biodiversity to global economies. Because that's a really interesting question. How much do we need nature? Or is it, and how much is it just a nice pretty backdrop? And how or how much does it actually contribute to, to keeping us all going? And his report was uh, took him three years, I think, to compile. And then it was launched last year, about just over a year ago. And um, and it absolutely 100% found out that without a healthy functioning natural world, our economies will fail. We will have global economic collapse if ecosystems fail because we are tied in to the ecosystems and the natural world at every single level. And he ended up, the very final part of his sort of speech when he was launching his findings, he said... And finally, this reporter's found, I'm paraphrasing him, but this is what he said, that that the natural world is so important to global economies. In part, we all have to be naturalists. We all have Mm -hmm. to understand how the natural world feeds into the systems that we require. That's why. So if you understand the natural world, you can work in business and in industry and in politics and finance in education in wherever you like because it's part of everything that we do. And if you don't understand, if you if you don't understand what's out there, and I live in the middle of a city, so I'm looking out my window a load of bricks actually. Um but just round behind the bricks is a tree. <laughs> and and I the more I know about that tree now, how important it is, and how it's important we have trees in cities and we have trees around the country, and the relationship between trees and, and the fact that they're home for all sorts of different species and they fix soils and they, you know, absorb carbon dioxide and they do all those sorts of things. You know, it's really important we know that, and it's really important we know what species of tree, and it's really important that we know why that species of tree fits here in Bristol as opposed to where you guys are. Not sure where you are, but we probably have different. You know wildlife. Hmm. Unless you next door to me, and I didn't realise you probably live in a different part of the country. Are you local? Uh, no.
0: I've got so many questions, but we we should probably ask uh, questions that were some of our listeners have sent in. And one question is from uh, one of our patrons, uh, supporters on Patreon. If you would like to support us on Patreon, you can go to www.patreon.com. Dot com forward slash sustainable. And be like Nicola, who sent us uh this question, she said, I'm interested in how much this GCSE will contain with a more female angle. Natural history in the UK has been a massively male observed story like history. Is this GCSE one that makes efforts to include eco feminist thinking? Uh, and uh, you know, obviously you don't know what's in it yet, but yeah, what what is your view what should be in it from that perspective
2: i think that's a really good question and uh, quite a few years ago i was a bbc producer for years and years and years and years and in radio four for quite a long time and i did a program long time ago called sex and the scientist where we actually explored Cut. that where we looked at um why museum specimens You know, and you go in, and it's all big lions with big manes, or you know, and it's always males because they in mammals anyway they tend to, and birds they tend to be the showiest. So nobody's interested in the females; it's all male, you know. And I agree, we've had way too much maleness in education, and uh, and the female side of things are really, really interesting. And um, let me give you an example. In New Zealand, there's a bird called a swamp hen. And um, it has a very uh, quite a dramatic uh, mating ritual where the, the male and the female, they run around together. and It's all very sort of quite, quite sort of to our eyes, quite sort of aggressive and so on. And the original thinking is that it's the male dominating the female, chasing her down, being dominant, forcing himself on her and all that kind of thing. Spin over a few years later when eco thinking, uh, feminist thinking started to come into natural history, and it was the female testing the fitness of the male, and it turned it completely Mm. on its head. So it's a really clever question because um, it depends on your, you know, science is very cultural. Natural history is very cultural. Every subject is very cultural. And so we have to try to be as objective and as even handed as we can within our own parameters. So I totally agree with your lovely patron that, um, yes, of course, we will try to be as even and that both sexes will be represented and we will look at the facts of how natural history works how creatures plants fungi actually work and not just see it from one point of view so good question you can
0: imagine it opening up so many interesting lenses can't you like Mm. because you know some of the more crass arguments that are put forward in in human debates Say things like, well, it's not natural, you know, or, or this is the natural order of things and natural way of things. So if you've got, if you're literally studying the complexity <laughs> of, as you say, the facts of, of what happens in the natural world, that's going to, it's not going to solve those problems, but it's, it's clearly going to make a massive contribution to cracking open some of that kind of weird blinkered thinking that still permeates so much of, of certainly British culture.
2: We are seeing changes. I mean, most zoology students, I think it's at least 50, 50 if not more, and are now women. And it used to be produ- overwhelmingly men that studied biology and zoology and botany. Now it's, I think, it's predominantly women. So we will get a different point of view. And I think, and we are starting to, as as I explained. So, you know, it is a really interesting time. You know, as as we're we understanding gender and sex a lot more as, we, and as we're as looking at the natural world with different eyes. It's a fascinating time to be studying it too. And we see ourselves in the natural world. The natural world speaks to us of ourselves. It helps us to express ourselves. It's really interesting time. You know, God, I'd love to be 18 again and, and have yeah, that I,
0: choice. I want to study this stuff. Yeah. I'm going back to school, days.
2: Although you can
1: do, am I right, you can do GCSEs at any age, yeah, right? Any so age there's nothing actually stopping anyone going to do
2: this thing. No, nope, nothing at all. And what I would love to do is a male, uh, male, look, you see, what I would like, uh, that was your fault, that was,
0: sorry, (laughs) Sorry.
2: (laughs) (laughs) what I would love to do is an adult version, so, and put it online, you know, natural history for adults.
0: Hi, I'm Arabella, and you're listening to Sustainable.
1: Well, I mean, so this kind of opens up the bigger question, doesn't it, about sort of two related things. So, firstly, like, it's still you don't have to do this GCSE, and not all schools will necessarily offer it. And even if they do, you don't have to take it. So, there's still a lot of teenagers who are not going to get this education. And then you you know you stop learning, then, Mm. right? Like you go out into the world. We talked uh, to a guy called Jonathan Rousen back in episode 163 who's done a lot of thinking about kind of lifelong learning stuff and the idea that, you know, the purpose of education. My mate in the pub, Felix, said this last night. He said, like, what's the... He said, oh, that's an interesting thing. He said, I think that the purpose of, of school is to give you a love of learning. So I suppose there's two related things about that. How do you stop this just being an isolated thing that you do for a couple of years that some people get? And what are the more sort of fundamental changes to education both for kids and for adults that would really lock this stuff in?
2: Oh, the two big questions. Um what actually, do I... there were
1: five big questions there were
2: actually quite <laughs> yeah. a lot of very big questions in that one. <laughs> <laughs> we're
1: running out of time. If you could answer all my questions immediately, that would be super
2: um, As we talked about earlier, you know we teach our kids about natural history through stories. And in fact, that is pretty much the only way any of us learn, through stories. And the natural world is just full of stories. Every single species out there has a story to tell. And it's a fascinating story about about all sorts of, as we've said, all sorts of things get drawn into it. So I just hope that if young people take this GCSE, that they will just be introduced to this this wonder world of wealth of stories, um, which will then go on to inform them throughout their life. And it will be a lifelong passion. It's not something that you just do till you're 16 and then say, right, I'm not doing it. I think it will hopefully ignite in a certain proportion, and um, hope significant proportion, a passion that will last forever. You know, for the whole of their lives, because it you can be a naturalist at the age of one hundred three and at the age of three it doesn't matter, does it so that 's what I hope I hope that we'll regain generations of people who love the natural world, and then once you love the natural world, you 're so much more likely to be engaged in what it needs to protect it that 's what I want. I want us all to protect it because we love it not just to protect it because we're frightened or anxious Mm. and i think one of the worst things that we've done and you know you've got kids is to hand on to your children the idea that this fantastic wondrous planet is nothing more than a problem to be solved and something that will make you anxious you know Mm. that's wrong because it isn't that it is just the source of all that's life enhancing and and we have to Re-engage with that idea, reinvigorate that idea, and then you, once once you're enchanted, you can start to solve the problems in a very positive and wise way, not just in a reactionary. Oh, it's climate change; we've got to plant lots of trees everywhere. And then, by planting lots of trees everywhere, you've just destroyed a whole load of other stuff. Mm. You know, we've got to be wise. We've got to be measured. We've got to have that calm head. That works from a place of knowledge, uh, not from a place of fear.
0: Get a haircut, hippie. (laughs) Now, you like curlews.
2: Oh, God, do I like curlews?
0: (laughs) Why do you like curlews so much? What's so great about curlews? And do we need to keep our eye out? For this GCSE, when it's completed, for a a bias module one, module <laughs> curlews. Is this going to be a curlew heavy GCSE? I, now, you can't
1: learn about natural history without learning all about curlew. So well, the thing I would, would argue that
2: I, there is an argument to say that that you're exactly right. Um, <clears throat> well, look, it, it it has been said that I am a little bit obsessed. I, okay, I'm, I have been pigeonholed. I will. <laughs>
0: But, curly holes. <laughs>
2: um In fact, if, if I could turn my screen around, you would see a room full of curlews, but I won't. Um,
1: they're being very quiet.
2: <laughs> I tied their beaks up. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Why do... Well, what's the question? Why do I like them? Or will they yeah. be in the GCSE? Why do you like
0: them? Why, why, do, you, like, why them? do you like curlews so much?
2: Because they're just so lovely. I mean, why wouldn't you love a bird that has... Great big long curvy bill, and that, and a little pinny head, and a little fat plump body, and great big long skinny legs. I mean, why wouldn't you love something that looks like me, that? to be honest? <laughs> <laughs> why wouldn't you love you? You know,
1: <laughs> why wouldn't you love me? Is,
0: is there the we
2: question, are. Is curly you don't write skin... books
1: about me, do you? You write books about
0: blinking curly. <laughs> oh, now, I've met Dave. you, I might <laughs> the, Come on, um, the, yeah, we there will be a book about you, Dave. I promise. Yes. Um, is, is the curly the one with the curly? the beak that curls up or the beak that curls down? Because Avocet and down. Curlew are current... I, can't I they... know.
2: They are quite different. But uh. good question. So, uh, yes, the Curlew's bill curves down. It's okay. got this lovely sculptural downward curving bill. And an Avocet's got a little upturned bill. And it's and black and white. that's the one that's
0: the RSPB logo. Is. is that right? Okay, yeah. Right. And it's
2: black and white. Whereas... Uh, Curlew has a long, downward curving bill, and it's um, it's a lovely sort of subtle shades of of greys and browns and creams, um, and uh, and I love them because they uh, they combine opposites effortlessly. Hmm. So th- actually, they're quite funny to look at with this long bill. They look a bit like Serrano de Bergerac of the bird world, you know, great big <laughs> long bill and a bit clown-like when they've got great big feet, and um, and yet. Unbelievably elegant um, and sculptural, me. and uh, yeah, you. And um, they uh, open their bill and they sing this like you, beautiful, sing so beautifully. And and they're less like me. <laughs> they have um, a call, particularly here in the mating in the mating season, which is about now, which is probably like you, which has a lovely. <laughs> which has a, a lovely... <laughs> Don't do it now. Not Don't do no, it, right. Dave.
0: <laughs> Don't do it. The listenership can't
2: handle. Now, is not right. now it's right. not the time. Now it's not the time. I'll
1: do it to you later, all right? Okay. Yeah,
2: okay. Um, they have this lovely bubbling... I, I can send you one and you can play it in. But they have yes, this please. gorgeous bubbling call. It's like it bubbles up from the earth itself. There's a rising... And what they do is they combine the major and minor keys in that.
0: Oh, really? uh, in a
2: really clever way, so you don't know when you're listening. Blues, blues yes. scale. Is it, yes. is it? Is it? Is yes. it? Ecstatic, happy, sort of upbeat stuff, or is it that much more somber, downbeat? Is it? And it weaves them and rolls them together, and and you end up listening. I don't know what I feel, but I do feel emotional. You know, and uh, and I love them for that reason. That their calls are so beautiful. And the fact that they live in places where we are not welcome and we can't get to. And I remember I love watching curlews out on the middle of mudflats because that in that liminal space between land Mm. and the water where it's, you can't go there because you just sink and then you drown, you know. But they just are there and it's their space and they fill it with this music. And I, I find that whole thing just so magical. Absolutely,
1: and magical. you r- so much that you've written two books solely about curlews, or one uh, book no, about one, Cur- one book solely about curlews. But
2: they do creep into the other book. Yeah. Uh, I've yeah. written three books. They don't make much of an appearance in the first one, but they do in Curly Moon, my second book, big time, all about curlews, and then yeah. in the next book about predators, they do can't help but bring them in every so often yeah
1: and what what is the name of apart from curly moon the names of your other books are
2: uh, the first one uh is on a, the a 19th century environmentalist scottish conservationist natural historian called john muir oh,
0: he was okay. born in
2: scotland but went and lived in america and he established america's national parks
0: up in the and high sierra all around, around
2: exactly that, that, that. Yeah, yeah, exactly yeah. that and there's a big Trail called the John Muir Trail, which runs from the Yosemite National Park right the way down to the top of a mountain called Mount Whitney, fourteen and a half thousand feet. Pure wilderness mountain trail, and I did that um, in twenty eighteen solo uh. backpacked it, and it was just amazing. So I wrote a book about him because I've always found him his writing so inspiring. And if there's any time when you're feeling like you need a little bit of a sugar hit in terms of getting a bit of oomph back about the natural world, just go and read some John Muir and you'll come out fizzing. I've got, I've got fizzing. a big
0: sort of coffee table book about John Muir, Have which, you? I've, which I've, I'm ashamed to say I've never really opened. So after this well, babble, now I am going to go and read it. Yeah.
2: Now is the time. So John Muir. Then I wrote Curly Moon, which was about another big walk, the walk from... The west coast of Ireland right the way through to the east coast of England um, 500 miles just to try and find out why the curlew was disappearing and I talked to scientists and conservationists and farmers and poets and artists and everybody else and uh and- built up this picture of what was happening to curlews and wrote that book. And then one of the big issues that curlews faces is, uh, is predation, lots and lots of predation in this country. So my third book was on predators in Britain and why we have so many of them. Lovely as they are, we do have an awful lot of them. And they're munching their way through curlews as we speak,
0: Bastards. So what angle, yeah. what, what munches curlies? What what are the predators? Uh,
2: well they don't m- so much munch the adult curlies as they munch their eggs and chicks in the breeding season. Um because they're ground nesting birds and um and they're very exposed to dangers and there was a lot of foxes, a lot of badgers, a lot of crows, and anything that eats eggs and chicks eats curlies.
1: So if you're a fox listening to Sustain a Babble, pack it in.
2: Pack it in. <laughs> pack Just go pack it
0: in You (laughs) orange-faced
2: Yes, and go and have the pizza in the cities. Exactly. Leave the curlews alone. Exactly.
0: Go and join all your cousins in London (laughs) and other big cities and just eat the bins like them. It's fine.
2: Yeah, yeah, and and easier.
1: All right. Right, last question. There's a question for you both. And it's a question, uh, I also asked Jude, my 10-year-old nephew, what his favourite animal in the world is. And a special bonus Babel Prize for the person who gets closest. So, uh, Mary, what would you like to guess my 10-year-old nephew's favourite animal in the world is? Lion. No, no, he's telling the
2: truth. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Polar bear.
0: Okay. How much like you is Jude? Quite a lot. Okay. Quite a lot. I've, I've taught him well. Cat. Domestic uh, cat.
1: No, neither of you are close. And the reason I raise this, so it's the correct answer is... A green anaconda, which is the world's largest snake. Oh, yeah. Ah. Mm-hmm. And the reason I raise it is that Jude likes... He doesn't... Yeah, you know, he likes animals, but he doesn't necessarily like the big sort of fluffy, cuddly ones. He likes the cool ones. He likes, the, you know, the ones that are really interesting. And I think that is testament, actually, to... What kids, you know, they don't necessarily all just like fluffy things. They're really interested in the way stuff really works yeah. and the the weirdness and the goopiness and yeah. the sheer alienness, the of
2: otherness each. of it.
1: Yeah. And it's so, so
2: great see. to have something that isn't human all the time, isn't it? Yes. And what could be more different than a giant anaconda <laughs> with no legs and no teeth and yet still eats whole things? It's fantastic.
1: It's <laughs> my nightmare sorted. Mary, thank you so much for coming on here. Um, how can people follow you, find out more about what you do doing, that kind of thing?
2: Okay, so I'm um, on Twitter, at Curlew Calls. Got in again. At yeah, Curlew Calls, yeah. yeah. Or Mary Colwell One on... Um, instagram and uh, or go to um i run a little charity called curlewaction.org oh, she is
1: obsessed i know
2: on. i know uh, or curlew media is my other <laughs> website or oh, you can find me everywhere but anyway
1: sponsored by big curly
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> we're on to you <laughs> <laughs>
0: Right, that is just about it for another episode of The Babble. Thank you very, very much, Mary, both for coming on here, but more profoundly for doing what you've done uh, and continue to do and for just being superb. Uh, do check out Mary's books and find her on the socials and stuff, per all of the ways she said you could do that. Thank you, as Ever to the wonderful Dickie Moore for the music that starts and
1: twinkles this podcast to the legendary Arthur Stovall for the logo What Storms It and Us and our t-shirts what you can buy at www.sustainandbabble.fish and to Jude for giving us his thoughts on nature at school and the giant anaconda quiz
0: if you would like to uh, get in touch and tell us what else we should be doing or doing differently, you can do so by emailing hello at You can tweet us at The Babble Wagon, oh. or you can just search Facebook for Sustainable Did that perfectly. Oh, well done. Yes, as I always do. Uh, Now you put me right off my stride. What else was Mm. I supposed to be saying? Give us money. I think we've done that, haven't we? No, no, we did it at the start. But
1: if you like what you hear, please do join our Patreon army at wubblywubblywubbly.patreon.com slash sustainababble. And if you can't or won't do that, or even if you can, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and anywhere else that accepts reviews. Five-star review would be superb. The most important thing is you write something with your hands. You can say what you like, ideally a nice thing in there. Please do that. Oh, not you.
0: Everyone else. Will you do it as well. Have you reviewed the Babel yet? Oh, 20 or 30 times. Fine. Yep. Good. Okay, I'll see you next week, Dave. I am off to uh, stare at uh, that moth that uh, we
1: didn't know what it was. Yes, very good. Next week, I shall be asking you questions on John Muir. So I I expect you to have got your coffee book out and you will be getting a John Muir quiz.
0: (laughs) Okay, bye. Oh, and do stay tuned for my mating call. Don't. Don't. This has been a really nice episode and I really (laughs) implore you, if you're still listening, and I hope that many of you have given up by now anyway because this is just a fluff, but if you're still listening, stop now. Just have it in your head as a nice episode... That wasn't ruined by Dave. Bye. Bye. <coughs> You've still got time to go. It hasn't happened yet. You can still go. <clears throat> you can go now. Uh, right. God. <laughs> I was like a sort of strimmer that was constipated.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That was my name at school.
0: (laughs) Oh, here comes bunged up strimmer.